this time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Q-Cubes. Hello, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi critique and review show where resistance is futile, so you have to listen. <laughs> or um, something unspecifiedly bad will happen to you. I am Gep when I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi. And, and we've made and, it. Yeah, we made it. We're here. This is this is when it starts to get iconic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. A new new nemesis shows up, but but not the one from Nemesis. Anyway, um, cyborgs, cubes. Yeah, the, the, the cyborg aliens that represent something about conform conformativity, conformism, like not individualism, like like our grand crew has. Yes, <laughs> they're scary because they're all the same or something. They haven't quite nailed down uh, why they don't like them quite yet. They're just a big nemesisy thing in this in this episode yeah they are a they they have a behavior and that's why they're bad in the fiction but in terms of the meta narrative eh, also they're supposed to be insects insects at some point but yeah uh, the episode was going over budget already so and that makes a bit more sense it would be less scary yeah but it's like yeah we can't quite do the you know like the whole uh animatronics for you know a whole bunch of them you know coming onto the ship or something like that so uh um, we'll go to the hardware store and get some tubes. Just kind of put them everywhere. Uh, so this is the episode of tubes. <laughs> it's the episode called Q Who, which is interesting that it, uh, it, it names itself as a Q-centric episode. Even though he's mm -hmm. more of a, like, side trickster character in this one. And we're really introducing the Borg, the big, the big bads. Yes. And, uh, in fact, uh, Q's involvement here is... Very interesting, but I think that might be something I want to talk about after we do the synopsis. So this episode was written by Maurice Hurley, who we've heard of because he was the head writer for this period of Star Trek, and he shows up a lot. Oh. Of course, he's very famous for, for this, doing this, <laughs> coming up with the Borgs. So yeah, it's like, yeah, I want to do uh, the, the insect thing, but uh, hey, we'll turn them into cyborgs and uh, all of that. And uh, oh, hey, people really seem to like that, so we'll bring them back a lot. Over and over again for the next, you know, few decades. And we've got a couple of side characters right now. We are introducing uh, Lycia Naff as Sonia Gomez. She uh, does. She's supposed to be a reoccurring character, but she isn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she uh, shows up, I believe, in two episodes. Uh, this one and uh, the next one. Yes, and she then, she was supposed yeah. to be like a new character who they're bringing in, introducing. They do a whole thing, and then it's just two episodes, and you're gone. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> you know, uh, sort of a another O'Brien sort of character because you know he's fairly established at this point as sort of you know one of the larger menagerie of the folks that you can recognize. Yeah, uh, she began her career as a dancer in the series Fame. And went on to a lot of TV shows in the 80s and 90s. She had recurring roles in General Hospital. And we've talked about her before because she was in Total Recall, where she played the three-breasted mutant. Indeed. Mary. And uh, she also uh, reprises the role of Sonia Gomez uh, at, in uh, Lower Decks 
as Captain Sonia Gomez. Oh, yeah, she did show up for a minute, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, she kind of, you know, found her way, I suppose. And, you know, she's a lot less, I guess, panicky and uh, energetic than in that than uh, here. So that's <laughs> nah, just fun. They get to pull up anybody and be like this, this side character. They're a captain now. Yep. <laughs> Anyone who was ever on the Enterprise for any length of time. Cap. Yes. <laughs> You know, maybe uh, after her uh, short stint in, uh, on the Enterprise here, uh, she's like, mm, maybe I would be happier somewhere else. And then because she was over, you know, you know, like well qualified for the Enterprise, ending up on any other ship means like, holy smokes, you're like the best person ever. Because apparently all the best people are only on the Enterprise. And uh, <laughs> and like, we're going to like make you uh, the lieutenant commander in like six months here. It's, it's fine. <laughs> and we also have John DeLance, who shows up as Q. We've talked about him a couple times before. And believe it or not, we are probably going to see him show up again. Yes. So Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, more central this episode, we have Whippy Goldberg playing Guinan, who I don't mention very often because she's kind of considered part of the main cast, even though her character shows up about as often as Q does. Yes. Uh, I, I guess at this point, she's, uh, you know, slightly less often than Pulaski, but uh, Pulaski's not in this one, so, you know. I know. I should look at how many episodes is Pulaski actually in, because they made this whole hullabaloo about a new doctor, and she's barely in the season. Yes. <laughs> it's like every other episode sort of thing, I think. And that's everybody. We also have a bunch of uh, a bunch of extras who are in ridiculous yes. costumes with uh, white face paint. And um, the voice of the Borg in this episode is uh, provided by director Rob Bowman. So he yeah. got to be the voice of the Borgs. <laughs> oh no, it's the director. He's talking to us. We're breaking the fourth wall. No, that's just the bad guy of the week. Even worse. <laughs> So we enter into the ship where LaForge is having a odd conversation with the newly assigned Sonia Gomez. He is criticizing her for uh, saying please to a replicator because mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know why really. Uh, she gets well, it's, it's to set up a, a contrast with uh, interactions they have with uh, others with their technology. She's like I want to be friendly to my technology, while others are like we're going to harvest it. Or something, but like right? we, but like we do that now. Like people yeah. now say please <laughs> to machines more often than people. In fact, people are often more polite to a machine. <laughs> well, so machines seems, can't hurt your feelings. This seems interesting to me that that in the time where you talk to all of your technology, someone would be like, "Why are you saying please to a replicator?" <laughs> Don't you know replicators are the least respected machines on the ship? Come on. <laughs> also, I still argue the number of times that their random technology gains sentience and just starts randomly doing things. Maybe you should be more polite to the computer. <laughs> anyway, she gets so wrapped up in this conversation that she forgets she's holding hot chocolate and shouldn't have it in engineering. Uh, and when she turns to leave, she runs straight into Captain Picard, uh, spilling her drink all over him. Now, this seems to be a running trend with Picard at this point, of someone kind of just spelling stuff all over his uniform and him leaving kind of miffed. Yeah, welcome to the ship. You have spilled something on me. This, uh, seems to just, <laughs> just be what new crewmen's do, just tradition. <laughs> I also am uh, interested that in this far future era where everything is these fancy touchscreens and whatever, um, apparently you still shouldn't spill drinks on your keyboard. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know the uh, ship's supposed to clean itself or something like that, but uh, 
uh, you know, getting too much, uh, you know, hot chocolate or, uh, in Scotty's case, uh, whiskey in the controller uh, panel, it's probably a bad idea. All right, so um, this was most of what we're going to get of of Gomez. She was supposed to be a love interest for Jordy. Uh, oh. she's, she's only in this episode and the next episode, like we said. Um, and in this episode, she keeps talking up uh, how bad the situation is every now and then. She was like, yes. oh... Everything's bad. I didn't think I was going to encounter death, etc. Um, but it, she doesn't really have an arc, and it's not really worth cutting back to her for one line at a time. So for the purposes of this episode, she's done. This is it. There we go. So, you know, if, if you want more of uh, Sonya, you know, watch the Lower Decks episode, honestly. It's, it does better for the character. So Picard is heading back to his quarters to get changed, and when he steps out of the turbo lift, he is suddenly on a shuttlecraft with Q. It's like that time you opened the you know the, uh, the turbo lift door and there was you know, all the warp space stuff going on. Yeah, he doesn't have the best luck with turbo lift exits. Yeah, uh, so someday for sure he's just going to get stuck with some kids or in one or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean that would be awful. That would be like his personal nightmare. Yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> so Q's taking Picard off the ship because he promised he wouldn't interfere with the ship anymore, but. You know, they've got something to discuss, so he's just going to keep Picard on this little shuttlecraft, you know, for years if they need to, just to hear him out. Yeah, it's like, uh, we're going to be waiting for a while if you don't talk to me. Um, also, I should point out that technically Q had said that, uh, that he would stay out of humanity's way uh, as part of that whole deal with Riker thing. So I think this is technically violating it either way. <laughs> yeah, but he does that. But yeah, but this also feeds back into my, my grand fan theory about Q and him uh, showing up out of order, that this is actually before his uh, encounter uh, in the previous uh, uh, time he showed up, that uh, that actually, you know, to his perspective takes place later. So he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, I, I said I would do cool things and I'm gone away around it. Anyway, there's this other thing I want to talk about. <laughs> That's true. There's no no reason to believe that Q exists in the same linear time that we do. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, back on the Enterprise, Guidance noticed something's wrong, and she asks Riker to check on things, and they figure out that the shuttlecraft and the captain are missing. Yes. Uh, part of this is actually that uh, Troy just kind of shows up on the bridge, like, really worried. It's like, yeah, I'm trying to find the captain. And they're like, well, we're trying to figure out that there's some, maybe something wrong, and Oh gosh, the captain's missing. You'd think they would keep track of that, since they can yeah. basically track everyone on the ship. You'd think it'd be like, hey, uh, yeah, the captain left unexpectedly. Just up and disappeared. <laughs> well, I do kind of appreciate uh, to the extent that they uh, let folks have some privacy, that it's not just constantly giving reports of where you're at. Um, but at the same time, if someone, say, like the captain specifically, just is no longer on the ship suddenly, having some sort of alert would be nice because you know if suddenly someone gets beamed off that should be maybe something to uh, yeah. worry about like that's what privacy yes uh if if someone suddenly leaves a ship in the middle of nowhere where there's nowhere to go like maybe that should be an automatic alert you know people yes. people starting to disappear we're we're kind of in space uh so there's nowhere for them to go yes <laughs> So are, do they melt? Um, did some, you know, Uber being, you know, transport them away? Have they fallen into another dimension or perhaps gotten abducted by aliens from, you know, some sort of region of subspace? So an unspecified amount of time later, Q gets Picard to agree to hear him out and returns to the ship. 
and they wind up in tin forward. Riker heads down and they detect that the captain is on board, and Guinan is also there, and she and Q know each other from a couple of centuries back. Yes, and uh, they do the uh, the hands up and, you know, we're going to, like, have a, a mind battle or something like that sort of thing. Yeah, but Q doesn't want to get distracted by all that. He's here to join the crew. He's a homeless Q because he's been kicked out for failure and general being an ass. Well, I guess that kind of uh, was, you know, a long time coming, potentially. Uh, well, uh, at least they didn't turn you human. Yeah, then Guinan confirms that, in fact, not all of the Q are this bad. This one is particularly annoying. So it makes sense that they don't like him very much. So we have de- I've had dealings with him specifically, and oh, such an asshole. So Picard does consider it, but he doesn't feel like he could be able to trust Q enough to have him as a member of his crew. Q thinks this is a mistake, and to prove it, he flings the Enterprise through space 7,000 light years away, over two years of travel from the nearest starbase. Now, I, I should point out that uh, sort of the thing that sets off Q specifically is that Picard's like, yeah, you can't trust you, yeah. But, you know, we don't really need you. We are prepared to go out and explore now. So, you know, you're sort of not really offering anything that, you know, that would overcome that whole trust issue. And then it's like, oh, really? Let's go. Which is still a weak argument. Yeah. It's like, oh, you think you're ready to explore? What if I take you out of the re- reasonable region that you would explore anytime in the near future? Wow. So they find a nearby planet used to have an industrial civilization but all the cities have been scooped from the earth that's like the the outposts along the neutral zone remember that thing that keeps getting set up and they thought was going to be a big deal and then never really was yes (laughs) an episode where all right we're, we're dealing with some folks out of time and that's our a plot i guess but also there's this serious thing and we're meeting the Marlins for the first time for this uh, series. And so all, there's a lot of big stuff going on here and there's a deporting pressing uh, matter here and we're just going to ignore it. Well, like we said before, they wanted the, they wanted that to be the big Borg reveal mm-hmm. in that episode. And then the Romulans and the humans would have to team up to fight the bigger enemy. And then they just yeah. uh, they couldn't <laughs> get it to work out with the budget and schedule and everything. Yeah, well, just going over budget constantly with the Borg, I guess, is a thing. So, yeah. They also now detect a ship approaching. It is a strangely generalized cube. It doesn't have a bridge. It doesn't have specific sections. It doesn't have shields or recognizable weapons. It's just a big hunk of ship. Hmm, so a technological soup, kind of, or, or jello, maybe. It's just decentralized everything. It's like Mastodon. Yeah, but probably easier to switch switch between the different things. Maybe. Maybe that's why the Borg's so slow to respond to stuff. I'm like, let me log out of this server. And uh, <laughs> and log into this other one. All right. And, uh, oh, this is the wrong one. I have to go back, actually. <laughs> so uh, Picard asks Guyton to monitor the situation from 10 forward, since she knows this region of space as whatever she is. We still haven't established this much yet. Uh, she knows what's going on, because this ship is the Borg. And a century ago, they destroyed her people's civilization and scattered them to the winds. Wow, that sounds like a really big thing to have not talked about ever. Yeah, well, I guess since you don't know these things exist. Yeah, well, uh, well I guess uh, it is uh, important that uh, you know now for us to to learn about them. So, guy, and give us the uh, the four one one. No, that's about it so far. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> there'll be more later. But she does suggest that they uh, raise shields and protect themselves, but you know the shields basically don't do anything because one of the Borg beams into engineering, uh, hangs out for a bit, kind of interfaces with their computer a little bit so that they can uh, 
figure out what's going on. It tries to take over the ship, so they shoot it, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it does not go down either. They have to shoot it a lot. Yes. Uh, I, I actually rather like this scene for a few reasons. Uh, you know, it is kind of very clearly, you know, setting up that these, you know, you know, uh, these cyborgs are here are, are, are want to study them first before doing it, you know, taking any actions, which is, you know, kind of reasonable. You know, if you've not encountered a galaxy-class starship before, this is perhaps the uh, good opportunity to take it all in and uh, figure out, you know, how to deal with this and uh, if you want to or whatever. Uh, I also appreciate Q kind of doing this thing where he just, like, pops up behind people, and mainly Picard, to be like, hey, you shouldn't let him do that. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, and, of course, there's the uh, the delegation maneuver where you know, Picard's like, uh you know, get him to stop and, uh, you know, he nods to Worf, who then uh, nods to the uh, other yellow shirt, who then approaches and then gets tossed around. <laughs> I mean, that's the chain of command. It's functioning. Yes. <laughs> like, it's, well, uh, <laughs> it's very difficult it to, to, like, get into the proper mindset for this episode because they're setting up these things so, so well. This thing just beams on, is just scanning stuff, doesn't want to interact, isn't acting in any particular reasonable way. It doesn't even seem to have any kind of self-preservation mm-hmm. and uh, that, that we don't know what's going on with these things. We later, like coming back, back to this and knowing everything that we do about the Borg getting set up in future, we know that this is malevolent, but yes. we don't yet we shouldn't yet we should just be like what is going on what are these things oh, this is very peculiar huh so as soon as they killed the first one another one beams in and they try to shoot it but this time it's got a shield dang it, it has a personal force shield uh wait why don't we have that yeah that seems like it's something you could i mean what happened to those belts the uh, animated series yeah, just, like, turn that up a lot. So the second one finishes what the first one was doing with the scans, grabs a few components off of the dead one, beams away, and the rest of the dead one disintegrates. Hmm. Well, uh, I hope that doesn't leave a weird smell in here. Now, the self-cleaning carpet doesn't work very fast, because it does leave a stain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's gone by the next episode, but, you know, still. <laughs> so Picard has a meeting with the staff and Guinan. She informs them that they're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> You, uh, you can't negotiate with these things. They don't want anything as you understand it. You can't trade. Their only motivation is to take things that are useful for themselves and to leave the rest. Well, uh, in that case, we should probably, you know, back away from them slightly. Uh, the Borg contact them. They've determined that the defenses are too weak to defeat the Borg and to not bother defending themselves. Yeah, otherwise you'll be punished. Uh, the Borg tractor beam <laughs> cuts a part of the ship out with a laser. Uh, Picard orders the tractor beam taken out. They shoot it to no effect. He tells them to use the real gun and destroy a good fifth of the Borg ship. Which, like, I, I get you're trying to be all peaceful and stuff, but given everything that's happening, you didn't want to do that first? Yeah. <laughs> You know, use all force appropriate. They ran off with our only toilet on the ship. Yeah, like, like they're killing crew members. Shoot them politely. Well, that didn't work. Shoot them rudely. Oh, we've destroyed yes. a large section of the enemy. Yes, and uh, I will say that uh, the damage on the board cube is actually uh, rather impressive. Uh, you know, it's, you know, it's all models and you know a little bit of CG kind of added in uh, here or there. But still, it's sort of like, yeah, all right. So I guess when the Enterprise is going full all in can actually do a lot of damage yeah it does look cool and it does melt part of the ship and then it's like disabled for a bit mm-hmm. like well they seem to be of uh no longer uh, cutting us up so that's nice uh so they've dealt with this threat for the minute and they return to their meeting Guinan doesn't know that much more about what's going on the borg are a mix of organic and artificial life 
Uh, they are not a group, but are a single hive mind of a mixture of all of their consciousnesses put together. Hmm. A hive mind, like those uh, giant uh, brain cells that once uh, took over Spock. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going for all the references today. <laughs> uh, they probably should run away, but, you know, while they're here, they may as well learn as much as they can. So Picard sends Riker over to the ship with Worf and Data. Uh, they seem uh, disabled for the moment, so uh, let's go check huh. them out. Uh, see what we can... Uh, maybe we can establish a dialogue or... At least look at them. So they find the ship filled with Borg. Surprise, surprise. All of them are in slots in the wall. Each one has a Borg in it. And they are interfaced with the ship through little nodules on their wrists that people decided was dumb. So they didn't do that for very long. You know, I, I, I do you know, kind of get annoyed with a lot of the uh, nitpicking in terms of the Borg being different from one interaction to another. But they're also a race of cyborgs that are constantly trying to integrate new technology into their existence. So having a different USB adapter one time <laughs> versus the next is perfectly okay with I me. I know, that is in fact their whole thing, is yes. advanced <laughs> evolution through taking over technological and biological aspects of other species that they encounter. Exactly. That is very annoying because you get an old Borg on a new ship and you need to get out the USB-C <laughs> to uh, electronic decorative twirly thingy interface <laughs> my arm thingy is like a it's like a it's like a doohickey that spins around but yours is more like a claw and we're just not gonna be able to you know interface properly unless we've got this new new cable thing going on uh, one of the borgs walks completely by them ignoring them utterly because they don't think they're threatening or whatever it's just on its own task mm -hmm. they find some borg babies babies they're mm -hmm. in drawers and they seem to be either born with or are given implants immediately upon birth. Hmm. So, uh, I guess uh, Picard has a, a big reason to avoid being on a Borg ship in the future. Mm -hmm. There's children there. And Data discovers that the Borg ship is repairing itself, which is probably why all of the Borgs are in stasis, because they're conserving energy for repairs. Hmm. Wait, well, when they're repairing... Uh-oh. I do think this one's interesting, too, because, you know, they, they do have the heavy implication that the Borg are breeding, you know, themselves because there's babies mm -hmm. on board. And they go like, oh, they've been given implants immediately. and Maybe they're born organic, etc. And I could see people complaining with the like, oh, that's so different than what we see later. But it's actually just a reasonable assumption one could make if you find babies and you don't know anything else about a species. It's reasonable to yes. assume that the species has babies like every other species you've seen. Not that these are, like, babies that they abducted from some random planet and have put implants into. Indeed. You know, it could even be a thing where they, you know, both assimilate babies and also have maturation chambers to uh, to create new ones. So if you're not, like, trying to improve the, uh, the Borg in total, but you just need more people, you can do that, too. It just takes more time. So they do decide that since the Borg cube is repairing the ship, since the Borg cube is repairing itself, that is a problem. Uh, they decide to get the away team out of there and run. The Borg ship starts to follow. They can't do anything to slow it down. Despite the fact that they destroyed a fifth of it with the one shot, they, just, they aren't doing anything now. Yes. Uh, Q shows up to gloat about how they're doomed. The Borg are closing in. They're taking down their shields. They're losing engines. Guard finally tells Clue to end all of this because if they all die, he won't get to gloat about it. Yeah, and uh, our, our photon torpedoes aren't doing anything Wesley's nowhere to be seen to save the ship. Now, Q, you're our only option. Yeah, he goes, fine, we need you. Get us out of here. Like, ah, 
Oh, cool. You finally admitted it. Nope. Hooray. <laughs> and he sends the ship back where they were. Hmm. Back back there. Wait a second. There's Wesley. So Picard goes to talk things over with Guinan. She thinks that Q made them encounter the Borg way sooner than their natural progression would have, and they will be coming, possibly before humanity is ready for them. Uh-oh. We should probably, like, get ready for that then. Picard thinks that maybe they were shown that they were being a bit too complacent, and maybe they should be more prepared for what's coming. Reasonable. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, two points of view. Maybe you would have been in a better position by the time you naturally encountered them, or maybe you thought you were invulnerable and you were not doing great. Yeah, you know, because uh, so far during this entire uh, series, you know, the, uh, the the Enterprise has been kind of flying around being the badass ship, uh, you know, in most situations. And, you know, the only kind of exception was the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the business was the last time we, we had hints of the Borg with the, uh, the Romulans there. And it's like, yeah, this so this big ship over there could destroy us. And so that's the only really real big threat we've run into there. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we uh, we have something else. That is threatening us. So maybe maybe it's not just Romulans we should be worried about. In fact, Q's kind of dismissive of them in this episode. It's like, yeah, the Klingons, the Romulans, yeah, you got yeah, they're nothing. Yeah, what? Oh, you you think that the, the people who are on the similar technological level to you are bad? That's cute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait until you find the real threats out there. Hmm. Yeah, so uh that's the episode. And uh I'm We'll uh, say that I really loved uh, uh, Delancey's uh, acting here, uh, you know, because he's kind of bouncing between, you know, being kind of intentionally annoying <laughs> to sort of, you know, you know, which kind of goes with his, uh, you know, previous appearances to a certain extent. But there's other times where he's like, yeah, guys, just like you're being idiots and I'm not going to be, you know, that helpful, other, you know, other than to point out the really obvious because you just don't get it, you silly humans. <laughs> yeah, he does a good job being the chaotic trickster god character in this. It does feel like they're never like... This is one of the few times, really, when Q shows up that he is very directly responsible for people getting killed. They're it's... never really mad enough at him for that. Most of the time he just kind of screws around with everyone, and then at the end it kind of gets reset and everyone's basically fine. Mm-hmm. This time he's like, what, you think you're better than me? Well, let's go well, get the bunch of you killed then. Yeah, we're going to have actual stakes this time, so let's roll. But uh, yeah, so kind of going back to my, my fan theory thing there, the uh, it, this, this particular instance of him being present and it not being fully 100% back to status quo afterwards implies that, you know, this is an intentional act on his part. Mm. And, you know, any sort of framing or stories he tells in order to set up the things he does can be complete fabrication. Saying that he's been kicked out of the continuum, yeah, that might be a complete lie. That, you know, he's just trying to look for an excuse to go Picard into saying or doing something that would allow him to then, it's like, oh, really? In order to uh, get them in the situation. So, you know, my idea is that, uh, you know, Q has this happen now specifically so that the, you know, the Enterprise and the Federation, you know, and all that are, you know, normally tipped off that there's this massive threat out there. And, you know, as a result, it's, you know, could be very much, uh, you know, you know, set up the situation when we get to best of both worlds, where the Federation takes that threat seriously. They actually gather ships up and try to confront the uh, the, the Q as it's approaching, as opposed to just sending in a few ships, sort of piecemeal, and hoping for the best. It's like, oh, this is a, 
a strange ship showing up on our border. Let's go first contact. Oh, we're all dead. Um, well, that was half the uh, flotilla that we would have had at an actual battle. So uh, <laughs> the other half goes in and they're crushed quickly. And, and so we have just slightly less time uh, for the Enterprise to figure out their, uh, their, their plan to sort out everything. Uh, you know, slightly less time before the cube gets to Earth and starts assimilating people. So, you know, having us have a warning in terms of, you know, you know, Q's, uh, you know, perspective here might have resulted in the Earth being, you know, not taken over by cyborgs. So that's maybe something interesting to think about. Uh, though it is heavily implied that uh, they wouldn't have gotten to Earth that soon if Q hadn't have done this. True. Um, but, uh, you know, like my, what I just uh, laid out, <laughs> It's all speculation, so you know it is uh, a you know a, a lot of what ifs we could sort of play mm. here, and uh, you know uh, you know if they uh, wouldn't have shown up for uh, you know years on end, uh, you know perhaps even centuries, the Federation might have you know been in a very different place by that point. Alternatively, the you know the Federation post uh, Wolf three five nine was uh, a bit more interested in building up the fleet, uh, you know, replacing a lot of the ships and perhaps having a lot more ships out in service, which then when, you know, they encountered the Dominion meant that they were not in a terrible spot. Once again, the what if game <laughs> strikes. <laughs> Interesting. It reminds me a little bit of the Watchmen thing uh, of, uh, yeah, you're manipulating everything after the fact to, to save stuff, but you have the power that if you actually gave a shit, you could have changed this at any time. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, possibilities to think about of how things would have been if things had been laid out differently in universe, you know, out of universe. Yeah. We got a new villain. They seem pretty cool. People like them. Let's keep breaking them back. <laughs> I think that it's interesting that they have a thing. They have a note in here that the, uh, the designs are very HR Giger inspired, which I guess the bug thing the only way that you could make this work if they were supposed to be bugs originally would be to kind of do an aliens. Yes. Which uh, I'm glad they didn't just do aliens again because everyone is doing aliens. Yes. <laughs> I remember uh, that you know seeing uh, that uh, movie called I think it was called Life or something like that. It's like you know International Space Station stand in location, uh, mo modernish day, and they encounter an alien uh, life form. And it does a whole aliens thing on them. And they're like, oh, no, we're all dying. Oh, mm. gosh. I'm like, I'm getting so bored watching this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that was before it was kind of everywhere. But, uh, yeah. I also hadn't heard of this other inspiration. Have you have you heard of Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future? Uh, the name, I think, has come up. But I have no context for that it. Here, I'm just going to send you this. This uh, I'm sending you a picture of the main villain. Oh. Yeah, that, that does uh, look like a bit of a Borg fellow there. Uh, it's like uh, you know, maybe a little Darth Vader too, but mostly Borg, yeah. For for the audience, it is a guy who's basically wearing Darth Vader's chest plate and <laughs> has a metal skull cap on with one big red electronic eye. Kind of covers half his face sort of thing going on. Tennas or something like that, kind of off the side. Yeah, so you can kind of see there's this very heavy, heavy inspiration from the Borgs mm -hmm. into this, which is something that I didn't put together before, but I've always really enjoyed that that kind of idea like that's one of the things that i always enjoyed with the the like mass effect games in that universe which is these are very these aliens are very obviously inspired by the clunky rubber suit aliens mm -hmm. from you know early 80s science fiction so the borg are really just an update of we're just going to put a bunch of plastic armor on a dude yeah <laughs> 
just yeah, you know, it's it's a, it's a look that you can't really go uh, uh, you know wrong with unless it's like placemats from like uh, a lot of choice. There's another aphorism I got <laughs> in this one because uh, <laughs> uh, you know that was the plastic that just looked terrible. But any other time, it looks pretty good. <laughs> I enjoyed this episode a lot, and I've always enjoyed it. But I think that's interesting to me because people praise this up one side and down the other. This is called like the first great episode of Next Generation, and uh, uh, second. <laughs> <laughs> it it was nominated for Emmys. It won two Emmys. It was nominated for three. Hmm. Um, I would say though that overall, watching it again, it's always been a little disappointing to me on how much it is just a we couldn't introduce these things before, and we couldn't think of a natural way to do it. Yes, uh, having you know another colony vanish uh, would have maybe been another option, but. Maybe they were like, you know, it's been done sort of thing there. And you could also, you know, not getting away like they did, you know, wouldn't really be possible. So, But also not to get too critical of it, but there's not really a particular character progression. Because not really. the, the entire thing is very much a, look, here is something that you are not prepared to encounter. It is overwhelmingly powerful and it doesn't like you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have a way to deal with it. You can't fight your way out. You can't talk your way out. There's absolutely nothing that you could, in fact, do. And uh, there's no reason for us to believe that Picard, who is the central decision maker of the episode, like had any particularly hubristic reason for believing that he could handle anything. Um, he mostly said that to get Q to go away. Yes. Uh, we, went, we weren't shown him being particularly overconfident or... Uh, with other situations, he's not. That's not really one of his main character flaws. Is overconfidence, indeed. Um, so though, though, though he maybe was being overconfident with dealing with Q specifically. Yeah, maybe a little, but not enough yeah. to like <laughs> to justify if, this. If his character had all had always been overconfident, and then he showed that with Q, then it'd be like, okay, this is why he's getting punished for it now, and he has to learn a lesson. But mostly, it's just. Um, this is kind of a very weird, shitty, conservative argument that you need to be prepared to defend yourself against something that is not only overwhelmingly more powerful than you, but will negate any attempt at negotiation or deal or dealing or any other peaceful way of dealing with the situation. Yeah, uh, like we cannot negotiate with these folks because they're all terrorists and we don't negotiate with terrorists because we don't want to and also we can't because they're terrorists. Which puts the Borg in a very strange niche for that because you you can do that, especially in fiction. And most of the time when you have a overwhelmingly powerful force that you cannot negotiate with it's basically taking the narrative place of a natural disaster a force of nature yeah it's like you can't negotiate with a hurricane you know but the borg are a weird one because they keep on characterizing them more and more especially as the series continues so we're not treating them like a force of nature. This isn't a like disaster episode, which it very well could be. Like they they get they encounter this thing, they don't understand it, they have to learn enough about it on the fly while they're directly under threat to be able to save themselves despite the fact that there's very little that they can do, which is how you treat a lot of natural disaster style arcs, like, you know, either it's just a scramble through survival or you have to quickly learn as much as possible to be able to deal with the situation which is what they usually do in star trek because it's all about the technology yes <laughs> well 
I guess there's, a, you know, to a, to a certain extent, you know, having it be all about the technology increases over time as well in uh, this era of Star Trek. So, you know, maybe this is an in-universe motivation for doing that. <laughs> It's like, we're going to solve our problems with negotiation. Have you tried Technobabble? <laughs> yeah, those are the two modes of solving problems. Yes. <laughs> but the fact that they the fact that they couldn't solve this as a problem does some weird stuff in the episode for me because they don't they don't deal with it very well, but they also don't learn anything from it particularly. They go, "Okay, Q, get us out of this." Gee, guess we weren't ready to hit those Borg. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> huh. Well, uh, let's not worry about this for now, uh, but maybe consider it for a, uh, a bit of self-reflection between episodes. So I kind of have trouble like parsing the message that you're supposed to get from this entirely, especially since the, the Borg, as they are in this episode, really don't have much characterization. They're there, they are too powerful, and, the, and you leave. Uh, we don't yes. know what they do, we don't know why they are, we don't learn any of the more scary things about them that we get later with the whole sort of zombie integration. Yes, so they are, they, they want the ship at this point is all we sort of get the vibe for, you know, having them want more, well, that comes later. Yeah. So, you know, they could be super scavengers. They'll just grab whatever pieces of technology or things. Which would kind of explain their whole aesthetic. Mm -hmm. But they also, like, don't do a lot to explain why, because, you know, do they just need raw materials? Are they actually doing something with the technology? If they want the technology, why are they taking technology that is obviously so drastically inferior to the technology they already have? Mm hmm. Like, do they, you know, need, you know, new technology to keep their ship running? Do they, you know, but they seem to be able to regenerate it all the same. Just kind of think about it and it repairs itself. Mm. And I can't, huh. I can't exactly point to what's gone wrong with it, but the Borg in this episode don't fill the the role of like a natural disaster which is just big and powerful and you as a small lowly being can do nothing in the face of it. But they also don't fill the role of the, like, we don't know anything about this sort of vaguely malevolent force that you get in, like, you know, more sort of alien abduction narratives, which you could also get in this. is something big and powerful that we do not have the ability to comprehend. Because they, they try to comprehend it, they sort of get somewhere, but not they don't get far enough in their understanding to make it a, here is how we have to deal with this too powerful situation, but they get too far in their understanding for it to be like an unknowable malevolence. Yes. So it's kind of, you're kind of left in a, a weird gap spot between the two, which is a little frustrating when you think about it. Yeah, and then they had to leave before anything particularly bad happens. Yeah, the, uh, they might have run off with the, with the toilet there, but, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be okay and we're going to be all smiles by the end of the episode because Q can save us. Yeah, they run off with the toilet and then a few people die off screen. Yes, because, you know, apparently that entire section was destroyed mm -hmm. because... I mean, if they'd, if they'd known they weren't going to keep her on for very many more episodes, we could have ver had a very harrowing death of the cute little ensign. Indeed. You know, this, uh, you know, she'd been kind of worried about, you know, things going wrong all episode, and then things go horribly wrong for her. So maybe, you know, maybe this is something that'll uh, affect Jordy or whoever uh, else, uh, you know, knew her before this point uh, going into the future. And it's like, yeah. That could be an emotional impact thing that helps uh, breed character development. I think the other reason that it doesn't hit very hard is like anything bad happening is because Picard is not very upset. Nope. Like he should be livid. He should be shouting Q down at the end of the episode of you killed 14 people to make a point. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's like, you know, this is not cool. This is absurd. You know, you promised to leave us alone forever. And yet now there are 18 people who are dead. Also, when you, you didn't call out my putting uh, uh, a woman in fridges trope. <laughs> you should have done that. <laughs> you put a woman in toilets. Yeah. So uh, I guess other than, you know, being a natural disaster or a unknowable, incredibly powerful uh, malevolence or something that's kind of different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is, of course, you know, interpreting the Borg as metaphor. Uh, at this point, given we don't have very much characterization other than what Guinan and uh, Q basically tell us about their their whole shtick, uh, you know, we, we can't really interpret beyond a certain point. But, you know, uh, Q says that they're the ultimate users. They are beings that are here only really interested in what you can, you know, what your technology offers to them. And so, you know, it's they, they are uncaring otherwise about all these, you know, people on the ship. So, you know, don't really, you know, let them just run around uh, willy-nilly. So get to it, Picard. Shoot somebody. But uh, there is, uh, I, I guess, you know, sort of going with that specific uh, idea that they are here to harvest, to to make use of you and your what you got around you, uh, that sort of can be, you know, then expanded into a variety of different narratives you could try to uh, come up with. You know, is this the... Uh, the faceless corporation that is here to uh, to mine all your uh, you know your local uh, you know area down and uh, leave you a uh, you know with nothing but slag behind, or is this the uh, the the uh, the Soviet Union uh, style government that is you know making uh, you know all of you uh, work in their factories and uh, you know basically doing the same thing as the big corporation and leaving everyone you know sick and you know all the lo- local resources stripped away, or is this uh, something else that uh, we consider to make a uh, particular uh, you know characterization where somewhere some powerful force is trying to take all you have and you need to be afraid of it well they wind up in a problem in the early episodes because in the later episodes where they introduce more you can read some very obvious metaphors a couple of those fit especially given the like early 90s mentalities we were get we will be getting into um, yeah. but right now the thing that really hurts them even metaphorically is that 80s star trek is not going to touch the imperialist metaphor nope (laughs) and this is very much the only thing that they could easily slot into if you want them to be anything more concrete than they already are because there is nothing scarier to a conqueror than the idea that they will themselves be treated the way they treat others Indeed. Wait, this isn't fair. We're supposed to be the ones on top conquering everyone. What's going on? And this sort of uncaring, malevolent entity that just comes in and takes over and doesn't give a toss about you or your life and just wants the resources that they can exploit from you is very much a colonialist idea. Um, It's not one we were going to touch in the 80s. It's not an idea we were willing to entertain. And there is no way they were really going to do enough to make it horrifying which is why it winds up feeling a little bit you know toothless in a lot of our borg encounters until we get into the actual sort of body horror part yes we, we don't want to go and get use them for uh, the obvious sort of uh, fear moment here so we got to come up with something else for people to be afraid of otherwise they become kind of silly hmm body horror everyone mm. hates that <laughs> so right now they aren't being used for a particular metaphor like it's sort of a colonial narrative but it's a weird one to it doesn't work the direction that they had to do it 
like having their original intention that the Borg are already futzing around the neutral zone, uh, mm-hmm. that would have worked. You have an, an invading force coming in that you know nothing about. It's just taking your resources and doesn't care about anything else. Um, yes, and, uh, <laughs> which is particularly upsetting when there's a particularly upsetting, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a political situation in the area mm. and having an external force kind of come in and interfere, you know, would, you know, be one, an opportunity for the sides to sort of put aside their differences against the uh, external force or alternatively something that is going to exacerbate a already tense situation between two major powers. Mm. You know, it it wasn't a very good comic, and it was an even worse movie, but there's a comic called Cowboys vs. Aliens um, Mm -hmm. that actually toyed with this concept in a slightly interesting way. I wish it had been written a little bit better because it was an interesting idea, but it kind of starts out with the general Western expansion, like taking of land from Native Americans to exploit for mining purposes, and then Mm -hmm. partway through that, aliens show up and just start killing everybody because they want the gold yes <laughs> so i've not read this myself but uh yeah it, it is a uh, an interesting uh, sort of like you know uh, you know uh, premise for a story there yeah i mean and, knowing uh, that the rest is kind of what it says on the box yes <laughs> and so you have these uh you know cowboys fighting aliens i guess and yeah <laughs> and they have to of course they have to team up with the native americans otherwise everyone's gonna die and it's a little ambiguous whether or not things go back to the status quo after that. Yes. Well, uh, I guess uh, you could always, uh, you know, run off with the idea yourself and uh, create your own franchise and uh, do it a lot better. You could, but then mm. you'd have to do something. I mean, I, I don't know. Is the writer's strike even going to be over by then? Yeah. Depends. Uh, uh, has uh, the CEOs of various uh, uh, Hollywood uh, major corporations, uh, you know, have they have they learned to have a heart yet? So no. So no. Yeah. So no, the Borg, the Borg haven't decided that they need to work with people. <laughs> but AI will solve all our Borg problems. <laughs> I will admit, um, I don't think it's going to be good, but there is something that I find intermittently very hilarious about how badly AI written things turn out. <laughs> so there will at least be some mildly entertaining things happening if they try to write and do everything with AI. Like there was a big uh, insurgent uh, research, uh, uh, you know. I guess insurgent would be probably a, the right, right term, act, term actually, uh, of absurdist uh, humor uh, in the, uh, the mid two thousands, uh, and uh, due to the adoption of AI as a primary means of writing scripts, um, nobody liked it because it was just got really annoying after a while, and all the uh, intense dramas were now turned into comedies because, well, nothing made any sense anymore. But if you like absurdist humor, that's the uh, the time period to go for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a very particular kind of absurdism. Yes. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Though it uh, would have been very fun if they'd written all the boring scripts with, with uh, generative AI. <laughs> you know, not like the rest of the episodes, you know, that, you know, you know, for the crew and all that, but just what the Borg's doing specifically. Yeah, any of the Borg dialogue. <laughs> You know, which I guess maybe also maybe uh, explains a few decisions the Borg make throughout uh, the various series that, you know, maybe they uh, have, you know, integrated some really poorly put together AIs that, uh, you know, are telling them to do things that they have no reason to question, but also aren't actually going to help them at all. Mm. (laughs) You need to fly over there. Why do we keep losing? The AI told us to do this thing that made sense every other time. Now, only send one cube towards uh, planet Earth at a time. 
Trust me. <laughs> you know, open up an interspatial flexure to fluidic space and try to uh, assimilate everything that's there. Be a great idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the Borg. Oh, they now, uh, yeah, that gets to be a turnaround in Voyager. The Borg are overconfident. Oh no! Which you know is kind of true. You know, if uh, you're the Borg, your whole premise is that you don't lose; you adapt. So, <laughs> you know, but uh, that's still stuff. You know, years of the future for both uh, the series and uh, us, uh, really. Unless you want to have like a separate Voyager podcast, we just start randomly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If we're <laughs> going to get to any of the other ones, we need to start running every single one of these things simultaneously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I guess we could do uh, soon enough when you know DS Nine starts up. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. But for now, what's it tomorrow? We got Borgs, yeah. you know, Borgs, and uh, tubules everywhere. Yeah, there's lots of tubes. They in fact grow and flex when they show the like zoom in on that repair. There's a bunch of tubes just snaking around. It goes tube, tube noise. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> hmm. So that's what a tube is. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm tired, and I'm gonna keep talking about tubes. So, <laughs> well, uh, I guess uh, you know maybe the, one of the last things I wanted to sort of uh, you know talk about uh, is uh, the Daleks again. Ah, uh, yes, Daleks who aren't Borgs, but are sort of yes. Borg adjacent. Yes, and Cybermen and Doctor Who a little bit. Uh, you know, not to any depth here, <laughs> but uh, the Cybermen from Doctor Who are kind of actually very similar to the Borg, uh, especially in their early iterations that, uh, you know, and yeah, you know, the Daleks as well, where, you know, they're, you know, technologically adaptive and, you know, uh, are trying to, uh, you know, uh, slowly take over the universe sort of stuff there. But the Cybermen are more, more certainly, uh, you know, closer in relationship to the, the Borg here. Uh, just the Cybermen kind of go for the single, uh, you know, look overall. Uh, and you know, it's still again, a plastic, you know, bit of armor, uh, with a weird uh, faceplate going on, uh, but uh, yeah, a little bit more symmetrical, uh, unlike the Borg here. But uh, the early iterations of the Cybermen were that they were on a planet that was an exact duplicate of Earth, uh, which also happens to Star Trek sometimes, of course. <laughs> and uh, the uh, and their planet was dying, and they were like, "Oh, we're gonna we gotta like do some stuff to ourselves in order to survive our our situation." And so they started to you know and embedding themselves with very uh, cybernetic uh, enhancements and such. And uh, eventually they're like, well, we're f going fully into the machine now here. So we are, you know, putting aside our, our humanity, even though we're not quite human, we're like humans, but anyway, um, but uh, the, uh, the, and so eventually they, you know, go fully into the uh, cybernetic sort of, uh, you know, form there, but they're not interlinked unlike the Borg here. So this is, uh, is an, a, I guess a, a, a evolution of scary cybernetic peoples here. Yeah. They never quite know what to do with the hive mind thing, but uh, it is like kind of their defining feature. Indeed. Which I guess for myself, uh, even, you know, in the, throughout the various sort of iterations of the Borg, as we uh, see things going forward, I guess I sort of see them as, you know, the, the hive mind as sort of like centralized for each ship and the, quote chorus of everything that like the queen is all about is more like organizing the ships to talk to each other in a coherent fashion as opposed to all of them just being constantly exposed to the noise forever <laughs> that there's not much of a hierarchy but there is you know some sort of uh, semblance of such in order to have a proper uh, i guess uh, telephone exchange but you know that's me maybe th overthinking the whole situation 
as far as, far as Cybermen are concerned, nope, no uh, interlink there unless they really need it for some reason. Yeah. Daleks even less so. They just, you know. <laughs> we went from guys in suits with plastic who aren't connected to guys, better looking guys in suits with plastic who are connected. Yes. <laughs> and where you can see where they're more skin again. So, you know. But yeah, the uh, the early uh, Cybermen, uh, you know, were actually their their costumes were kind of creepy because they were, you know, they're like we're gonna have like cloth over the face, and you know, it's like yeah, it's sort of implying that their skin's been replaced, sort of. Ew. <laughs> but then they just went full face mask later. But yeah, yeah, you got some weird stuff with early bad budget sci-fi on those. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and oh gosh, uh, early Doctor Who and low budgets, you know, like the. Uh, the, the episode where they uh, they go to the plant of all the insect people, and there's the ants, which are basically just guys in ant suits where you could clearly see the guy's legs and, mm. you know, just a big plastic or paper mache game, potentially, <laughs> uh, thing around them. <laughs> My favorite was when they've, there were a bunch of bugs on the space station, and one of them was just very clearly a dude wrapped in green bubble wrap. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, the, the Ark in Space, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's like, yeah... <laughs> You know, it looks horribly cheap, but you know that's what they got the budget for. <laughs> so it's still that that particular adventure, still a fun one. But uh, you know, it is a, a I guess a, a another sort of alien sort of uh, vibe there. But it was doing it before it was cool, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gabbard, what are you assimilating these days? Uh, nothing much. We're just gonna have to move on to things because I don't have anything interesting to talk about because I haven't watched anything recently with uh, with cyborgs in it. Hmm. Well, I, I, I suppose uh, I could, uh, you know, pull things around in a weird, funky way and, uh, you know, point out that uh, these, uh, you know, the, the Borg, especially this era, look less like, you know, uh, you know, you know, messed up cyborg guys and more folks in some really curious looking bondage gear. That is true. Yes. Which makes the uh, comment about uh, the, uh, the, the Enterprise being punished if they try to resist you know, a little more, I guess, uh, Saucy? Yeah, and we're moving on. Yeah. (laughs) Now it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show! Woo! Hey everybody, welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show, where we're going to leave the sauce behind for today, but uh, we're going to have a lot of other things to hand out if... uh, you know what I mean? I mean, um, uh, as far as prizes and things do, because our various contestants have been racking up all sorts of scores today, and uh, some of these scores are a little regular. I, I think the the Kevin, are you seeing this? Is that, that that's a that's a perfect square there, right? Or is that a perfect cube? Drat. Where's my calculator? Anyway, I should probably start handing out some things here. The first prize is the menacing geometry prize, which goes to the boy because their cubes certainly uh, are menacing. What do they win, Gapwin? I think that the Borg need more creative shaping. Like, they need to win a book of geometry, or at least some kind of interesting architecture. Because mm-hmm. mathematically, share a cube, and I know we get sphere later, but if you were just going to extrapolate the full-on, like, most space-efficient shape for a spaceship that didn't need to worry about aerodynamics, I'm sure you'd get something, like, really weird and interesting. Indeed. And I want it. I want Borg triangles. I want Borg tetrahedrons. We do get a, a, a sort of a weird, like, uh, asymmetric sort of uh, blocky thing uh, in, a, I think it was Dark Descent, uh, near the end of the series. 
Yeah. Um, but but that's sort of a, a special circumstance, given what's going on. And, like, yes, the sphere is definitely the most space-efficient shape for a spaceship, because you get maximum internal space for minimum surface area, and you don't want too much surface area in space. But it's still boring. It's very boring. Spheres are much more boring <laughs> and less menacing than cubes. Yeah, the... Uh, there's a reason in uh, Stellar Renaissance I, uh, you know, gave the uh, big giant spaceship uh, you guys went into uh, a, a, a more of a pyramidal uh, sort of shape. But anywho, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to our next prize, which is the Sufficiently Advanced Aliens Prize, which goes to Q, but also Guinan, because she's got some sort of ter- trouble sensing powers and can like go toe to toe with Q maybe or something. But I don't know. What what do they win, Gepwin? I mean, they win a copy of Dune. Because, like, they don't know what they're doing with Guinan, but I feel like if they'd gone full Benny Gesserit, it would have been way more interesting. She already has a little bit of, like, I can sense trouble, etc., etc. Why isn't she just doing the cool meditation mindfuckery that you do mm. from practicing things for thousands of years? Well, indeed. Hmm. I also wonder if, like, under her hat, she has, like, a third head. <laughs> Where's her second head? Uh, She keeps that in the box, behind the bar. Anyway, the final prize for today is the Greenest Ensign, which goes to Sonia Gomez for kind of coming off like she just wanted out of Starfleet's recruiting office, not the Academy. What does she win, Gapwin? She wins that entire backstory we're supposed to get, where we find out that she got jumped forward because she's so smart, but that's why she, like, doesn't know what's going on, and she soon has to, like, do all the other things and by the time we get to disaster she's taking an over engineering and saves the day hmm well, that could be kind of fun actually a uh, al- an alternative take as things uh, go forward in, in the next generation here and uh you know and giving a good solid justification why she's uh, captain uh, gomez pretty quickly yeah look out yeah. for our new continuing uh continuing segment what would what would henson gomez be up to <laughs> so sonia gomez Hope you, uh, you know, uh, you know, have a long and, uh, adventurous career throughout all that. <laughs> Anywho, that's all I got here for today, Gepwin. Uh, feel free to take us away, but, uh, try not to run off with our technology. Yes, thanks everyone for joining us. Try not to get assimilated, and thanks for being here for the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! You know, I don't know about you, but like, I I think Elementary, Dear Data, and Q Who are very good episodes overall. Yes. Um, I'd agree. I don't know. I don't know if I like them enough to forgive the fact that this is why we have to deal with a clip show at the end of this season. <laughs> well, uh, we're not quite to the clip show episode yet, uh, at least. But uh, yeah, Shades of Grey is. Uh, it was something that was necessary from the budgetary side, but mm-hmm. it's just suffering for a full hour. Yeah. And most of it's the audience, not just Riker. <laughs> but uh, we've got other things to worry about before then. Yeah, we've got other things to happen before this, like snares and Samarit- Samaritans. Yes, and uh, things that make us go. Yes. And, uh, you know, this is the Mondu. <laughs> so, yeah, next we've got the Samaritan snare... Which is their, um, you get, you get the aliens that they decided to misunderstand and use as a main villain for Lower Decks later. Indeed. Which, you know, is kind of hilarious, but at the same time, a little like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, uh, 
the uh, the Packlets. They make their debut now. Packlets do show up in his background characters, uh, especially DS Nine, because I guess they live nearby. Um, but uh, you know, it is uh, this is like their time that they actually are like centralized to a plot of an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're around. Yeah, kind of just hanging out. Sometimes talking to Jake Cisco. Because it happens once in an episode. <laughs> like, you know, it's like background character. I'm going to pretend like I'm talking to you. And oh, now we're going to the actual thing I'm now involved in. <laughs> I mean, I like that they're just, uh, I like they're just around, even if it's just because they're reusing prosthetics. And uh, in fact, uh, I rather like it when uh, that happens in Star Trek. So uh, good on them there. Because it means that you're not like leaving a, you know, uh, an alien race to be forgotten forever. Which, you know, happens pretty often honestly <laughs> it's like yeah you know another four, rubber forehead aliens uh just for this week planet of hats whatever we're go moving on but uh yeah having the uh, folks show up more than once i like it so yeah next time yeah. we're getting the pack lids and yes. we know what happens with them and not a lot's going gonna happen with them honestly it's a fun episode but like we're not gonna have mm-hmm. a ton though i do think it's interesting that just this is gonna be the only other episode that that Ensign Gomez shows up in. And I'd kind of forgotten that, that the other things that I liked from her filmography are she plays the bad guy's girlfriend in the first episode of The Flash from 1990, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. Flash versions. Hmm. And uh, also, the year after that, she was in some sort of movie that I don't know what is, but it's called Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, apparently is a... 4.1 stars on IMDb. That's more than I would expect. <laughs> Film about an all-female motorcycle game named the Cycle Sluts, who cruised an isolated town looking for a good time. Here, an evil scientist turned mortician has been killing local townspeople with the aid of his long-suffering dwarf assistant and turning them into zombies to use as labor in an abandoned mine. Hmm. So, uh... I guess not as extensive, uh, you know, destruction as Night of the Comet, but uh, still zombies and, uh, you know, uh, girls going to town on uh, on the bad guys. Yeah, this is so, uh, I don't know, this this looks interesting. <laughs> so, uh, should we add to the queue? We should. I mean, it's not, I doubt it'll be good, but. Um. <laughs> well, uh, look for uh, uh, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town uh, sometime in the far future. <laughs> Formerly known as Chrome Hearts, apparently. <laughs> anyway, I think the pack loads are fun, and I'm not intentionally trying to not talk about next week's episode, but uh, I just randomly found this, and, and it needed to be known. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I do, uh, I guess, uh, uh, there is some painful moments in this, in this next episode, but overall, I kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, it's not great comedy, but it's, it's decent comedy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it has character moments, so... Win-win. <laughs> so yeah, next time we got the Sumerian Snare. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, making spaceships go! You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. 
If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>